The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom. Now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 55 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Pretty sure I'm allergic to Strangers in Paradise comics, because when I read them, I keep saying, ka-choo! I'm Adam. Oh, it's a deep pull, deep pull. That's <laughs> a deep cut. I also realized, you say episode. This is probably like episode 400 of, yeah, this is really an issue. <laughs> So anyway, fresh off my phone call with my travel agent about booking a trip to Astro City this weekend so I can enjoy some superhero sightseeing, I'm Michael. And joining us tonight is a geeky podcast, history teacher, comic book writer that knows a thing or two about Wizard Magazine from the beloved Geek History Lesson Podcast. It's Jason Inman. Welcome. Thanks for having me, fellas. Very so, excited to have uh, you. One of us in particular is very excited, has been anticipating <laughs> this episode. So, Michael, <laughs> take it away. Okay, I'm, Jason, I'm going to forewarn you. Please don't like put a restraining order against me. <laughs> I'm a bit of a super fan of yours. Oh, Adam, well, thanks, man. When Adam told me you were going to be on the podcast, I was like, how did we get that guy? Like, how is that possible? Like, how does he even know we exist? So, <laughs> first of all, you know, I got to say thank you for your service. I know that you were in the army me. So I, I got to shout you out on that. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I, I also got to say this. Geek History Lesson was the very first podcast I ever subscribed to. Whoa, what? I am honored by that. That's yeah. astounding. So I work in New York City and live in Long Island, and I have a two-hour commute in and two-hour commute out. And for a solid like two, three years, I would just sit every day and listen to the podcast, one in and one coming home every <laughs> single day. And funny enough, because of Geek History Lesson, you know, iTunes was like, oh, things you might like, which happened to be Sequel Quest, which is how I found Adam, and we became friends, and here we are today to this. Oh, um, well, I'm so happy that Geek History Lesson is the progenitor of this podcast. I'm honored, and I'm astounded, <laughs> and like, no, I, like, I know about you guys because I think we are friends of friends of the same people. Mm -hmm. And I saw your podcast get retweeted a couple of times, either through Brian Cunningham or a couple of people like that. And as anybody that listens to our podcast knows, I talk about Wizard Magazine quite a bit on that podcast. So yes. when I heard that there was a podcast specifically about Wizard Magazine, I just directly emailed you guys and said, hey, when can I be on the show? I bullied my way onto the show. And for that, I apologize. <laughs> Trust me, it was no problem. When he said it, I was like, yeah, have him on. So <laughs> I, I have to go a little bit deeper into my fandom of yours. So I've watched many of your YouTube episodes, even like live streams you guys have done, you and Ashley. So I have a couple things to show you as well. Oh boy. So, this is going to be great for the audio podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to take pictures of it. I'll put it on our Instagram. Sure, sure. So you guys a couple of years ago did a Kickstarter for a pin and I have the pin. 
Oh yeah, we have that on our Etsy store, the Geek History Lesson yeah, pin yes. that everybody's showing. Yeah. yeah. Oh awesome, and, man. Oh yeah, it was Etsy, that was what it was. But you did do a Kickstarter or something for this. No, Jupiter Jet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not that issue. And you signed it and Ashley signed it at New York Comic Con one year when you were doing a panel. It was like a DC panel of some sort. I had to go to your booth to get the issue from somebody and then race over to the panel. I was like, like this nerdy dork. I'm like, just please sign it. Please, sir. Can I have some more? Sign it. <laughs> That's the best, man. That the, We're all nerdy dorks, man. That's so awesome, man. I Well, thank you for doing that. And that's so awesome. So we've met and I, yes. I, I, I and I don't even remember it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was like 200 people in the room, for God's sakes. I, I don't mind. I'm humbled by this. Anyway. Nice. Now, Michael, you know, thanks to your service on this podcast, you get a private audience and some hang time with Jason. So <laughs> it was all worth it, right? For all the and just the restraining order is coming in the mail. It's, it's uh, no, I'll send, an, I'll send an invoice. It'll be all right. Good, good. Net 30, oh, by the way. Yes. But we are excited to get into the main course of this issue and talk about Wizard Magazine. But first, perhaps an appetizer of sorts. We want to get back to a simpler time, Jason, when panel based illustrated adventure was a brand new world of wonder being opened to your young eyes so please tell us your origin story I am a Kansas farm boy from the middle of nowhere. Uh, if I told you the name of my town, nobody would recognize it. So I just won't. When anybody asks me where I'm from, I say Smallville because nobody knows my actual hometown. I've met one person in my entire life that knew <laughs> where it was that was not born and raised there. So I bought the graphic novel for the death of Superman from a gas station in Kansas. That was my introduction to comic books. It was the first time I knew about continuity. And because I came from this very rural and very desolate area, there were no comic book stores anywhere to be seen. But luckily enough, the grocery stores carried Hero Illustrated. Remember that magazine? Wow. And Wizard. And because I was not able to go to comic book stores, I bought a subscription to Wizard because it kind of felt like I was getting to read all these comic books and keep up with all these comic books without actually being able to go to comic book stores. So, I mean, that is where I think I was subscribed to Wizard Magazine for, I would almost guess, eight years. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And, and, and here's the weird thing. I have only kept like maybe four of the issues. So they mailed it to Kansas, like they could find you in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would like mail it. And, and my, my, my mailman would fold it in half all the time. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> they would, yeah. Sometimes they've got those trading cards, those comic books yeah. inside and they would just be ruined. <laughs> but and I all still... those AOL uh, discs in there oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> On the posters too, there I still have some posters from Wizard Magazine. I still have like the holographic trading cards from Wizard. I have mm -hmm. them in the closet still to this day. That's cool. That is awesome. Now, did you have in particular a section you always went to, like your starter, or did you just read it front to back? Oh, front to back, man. That's the way to do it. Look, there were some sections that I enjoyed more than, than others, but I mean, I even subscribed to Toy Fair for a time, which I know, like, have, have we reached the Toy Fair period of Wizard we're Magazine yet? close. It's 97 okay. is when the regular publication begins. We start to get into the, the special test issues, you know, the seasonal specials. So that's coming. Yes, up. yes. I remember that. And yeah, Wizard did a couple of weird spinoffs. You know, if I had to name a favorite, 
I always love like the top 10 when they would pick like, these are the top 10 issues. Some of their choices I thought were very interesting. And I, <laughs> I if you were to say like, if you were to read it now, you'd probably be like, oh yes, the company reached out to them and said, hey, could you uh, put yeah. a little sugar on this issue? Brian Cunningham says they called multiple comic book stores around the country and they polled them. What is the hottest selling book in your store? It just happened to be Gen 13 for an entire year. You know, that's well, just- are you, you guys are the, definitely the experts on this magazine. Do you buy that? Michael's like, no. They no. built a network. I don't know if later on that was the case, but at sure. the beginning, I know they had like a big network of stores they were dealing with. They had entertainment retailing, the big magazine they were sending to the comic book shop. So they were trying to really, you know, be in touch. But yeah, maybe later on there were some <laughs> changes in what they were trying to accomplish. The amount of times that Rob Liefeld is featured in this magazine. <laughs> yeah. I'm like... There's no way Image is not throwing them a hefty chunk of money saying, mm-hmm. promote us, promote us, promote well, us. make us bigger. Look at yes. how many ads for Extreme Studios comics there were in an issue. And then when Rob yeah. Liefeld is featured, just consider that, if you will. <laughs> but sure. that being the case, you know, for eight years of reading Wizard Magazine as it was delivered direct to your home. Via the to- Postal Service. Yes. Yeah. the ba- <laughs> I mean, I even subscribed to comic books via the Postal Service because it was the only way I could get them. And I, I will tell you, I cannot tell you how many issues of Grant Morrison JLA run the post office ruined. Oh, oh <laughs> at man. least the stories themselves, right? That was that's right. That's the right. Value, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Well, let's get into <laughs> this here that Jason, the Pony Express bringing letters right to your door. <laughs> so we are going to open up Willie Lumpkin's mailbag. Now, one thing to keep in mind, guys, that this month, Jim McLaughlin actually took the month off and he handed over the magic words section to Kathy Newman from the Wizard Promotions Department. I don't know why she was selected. There's no indication, but she does a great job here. But even without surly old Jim McLaughlin, the correspondence is as entertaining as ever, thanks to the readers. Starting with this particular piece, a star in the making. Uh, and so let's take a look here at this letter because there is an eagle-eyed reader who spotted something. Dear Wizard, recently I looked through my old video game magazines and found something that interested me. The May-June 1989 issue of Nintendo Power announced the winner of its Invent the Ultimate video game contest as being 15-year-old Jeffrey Scott Campbell. I was wondering if this is the same Jeffrey Scott Campbell that currently draws Jed 13 for Image Comics. Kim Sanglor, Tacoma, Washington. So, what did they have to say there, Michael? I called J. Scott Campbell and he said that yes, indeed it is him. He won for his entry called Lock Arm, and nothing ever came out of it. That's if you call working on Gen 13 nothing. Sure. He did get his picture in the magazine, though. Yeah, so I I sent you guys the scan of it, and I think it's kind of an interesting look. I mean, you wouldn't look at that and say, this guy is going to grow up and be a famous artist, necessarily. Not at all. No. For a kid, I guess. Pretty amazing for the guy that became the protege of Jim Lee. 
So, yeah. So just I love the fact that there were readers back then who were into old magazines, you know, and they were looking <laughs> back at their old issues just like we do. So filled my heart with joy to read that. But this next piece here, we've got Cyberspace Sucks. And uh, a reader writes in about the state of comic book discussion online. He says, quote, Dear Wizard, do you mind if I complain for a few minutes about how disgusted I've become <laughs> with the average comics reader? Last March, I managed to get a hold of America Online. Brother, it was heaven. I thought DC Comics Online was the greatest place in the world because I could now hold intelligent conversations with readers and pros throughout the nation on everything from polybags to Jack Kirby. It's been a lot of fun. So, end of story, right? Nope. In recent months, I've seen an incredible surge of fanboys hop in the net, popping up in DC with nothing intelligent to add. I'd say Wizard's partially to blame for this since it's gone online, but it's not the sole cause. Basically, what happens is my friends and I could be talking about Superman. We'll be having a great talk about what's going on in the current issues. Suddenly, a new kid walks into the room. As soon as someone brings up soups again, we get blasted by Superman sucks, usually followed by Spawn rocks. Angered, we can refute these people with about 300 reasons as to why Superman is comics greatest invention, yet their only response is, you suck. Okay, okay. The internet is a forum open to the public, including the fanboys. However, I imagine a lot of these kids read Wizard, and I hope they will see what I have to say here. I do not like Spawn. I have little respect for the X-Books, and I am a diehard Superman and DC reader. You kids are entitled to your opinions about what's a good book, but if you're going to put down someone else's opinions, back it up. You heard me. If you aren't capable of saying more than you suck, I suggest you keep your mouth shut. If you're going to pick on DC, make damn sure you've read what they put out in the past three months. Jason Inman. Oh, wait, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, I never wrote a letter into Wizard, but I wish I had. But uh, I was going to ask it, if you huh? did. I no, I never did. I never did. Yeah. What's uh, funny about this particular guy is this Adam Fry or Frey. He has his e email address in the magazine, first of all. <laughs> yeah. And the way he's talking, I'm like, I, I would love to find this guy on Twitter and just see him going back and forth 30 years later, 25 years later, complete like, oh, he said I suck 140 characters later. Burr, 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 burr. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you look at uh, it and you're like, wow, you know, it's just like that was definitely an issue uh, then and it's an issue now. So just looking yeah. at YouTube. Humans never change. Yeah. Humans never change. Trolls will always be trolls, period. Yep. Whether yep. you're on dial-up or high-speed internet. <laughs> I, think, I think the cavemen had uh, similar issues. <laughs> I do love to hear that DC Online was great at one time, though. That's nice to hear. But it's yeah. kind of nice to hear, yeah. Like there was like, <laughs> oh, gee, it was actually like a cool forum at one yeah. place. <laughs> Were you spending any time online with your comics fandom, Jason, back then? Uh, we didn't have the internet when I grew up. Like we were in the middle of nowhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, here was Wizards response. I have to agree with you, Adam. I've tried getting online and having real conversations with people, and it usually turns into caveman talk. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> My guess as to why this happens is that some of the kids are pretty young and are at a loss for words, not to mention a possible inability to type fast. Maybe it's just because online is still a new form of communication. Hopefully in time, people will start talking or typing in full sentences. <laughs> in the meantime, try going on later at night when some of the older fans are online. You have to admit, though, it must be kind of fun for kids to type, you suck and get away with it. <laughs> later so. at night, you could be anywhere. <laughs> 
this didn't age well i feel like yeah <laughs> but michael i think the place we can still get some full thoughts now and again we can rely on it back in the day our old standby it's time to turn on I don't know why I started doing that. Now I'm stuck doing that noise. (laughs) It's called podcast continuity, my friend. I I guess so. Our top story tonight, the original bad girl, Vampirella, is celebrating her 25th anniversary in a big way. Harris Comics is publishing issue 25 as its final issue of her current ongoing series with a chromium cover by Joe Quesada. A mini series will follow with cover art by Adam Hughes, as well as a 25th anniversary special with cover by Frank Frazetti. Is that right? Frazetta. Yeah. Who printed Vampy on the cover of her first issue in 1969. Jason, you ever get some bad girl books in the mail? Order direct? No. See, those people didn't ship anything to Kansas. They should have because they would have made a mint. But... (laughs) It's so funny, man. I do remember Lady Death and Vampirella being promoted and talked about constantly in Wizard Magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Do you guys have a Vampirella account? Because I have a feeling it would be in the thousands once you finish this podcast. (laughs) We have so many tallies going already. I know. I bet you do. I bet you do. (laughs) Don't tempt Adam. He'll go back now and he'll recount. (laughs) It's true. It's true. <laughs> well, I'm going to push for your fans to do a Vampirella count. Oh, <laughs> now, in our next story here, Bob Layton is gone on vacation, it says, is a story that corrects misinformation spread through America Online in the form of a news release, in quotes, stating that acclaimed comics editor-in-chief Bob Layton was gone from the company when he was actually just gone on vacation. According to CEO Bob Mazarski, quote, there was absolutely no news release. So whatever you read was obviously made up by someone with too much time on their hands an active imagination and no desire to check their facts yeah definitely sounds like a lot of youtube and social media rumor channels out there <laughs> love that clickbait want to get your attention but uh, it's hard to believe yes once again 26 years later nothing has changed <laughs> the next news story of course is this hey, look, listeners they want me to talk about this barry windsor smith story but i would be remiss if we didn't talk about the article right above that which is talking about big deals for Tom Clancy and Tarantino simply because do either of you or any of our listeners remember techno comics with an X? Uh, because, probably just me. <laughs> yeah, definitely not me. Definitely yeah, yeah. Not me. I was like, that publisher definitely only existed, I think, for two months. But anyways, <laughs> so I just wanted to point them out. But uh, yeah, Barry Windsor Smith, there's an article about him. He's going to release a new 40 page large format omnibus for Dark Horse, called BWS Storyteller. He says these are stories I've wanted to tell for a long time. Some of the ongoing stories include The Freebooters, Young Gods, and The Paradox Man, which, and I quote, is about a time traveler searching through history for his lost love, utilizing a 23rd century children's toy called the Time Bike. Now, fun (laughs) fact, fellas, I did some Googling while we were podcasting here. And at barrywindsor-smith.com, you can buy collected editions of the freebooters so it's through apparently it's now published through fantic graphics books but that's kind of amazing i have never heard of this book before thank you wizard magazine from the past yeah something (laughs) to check out for those who want to be completists with barry windsor smith i just i'm curious for you guys would you want like your favorite artist if he just released like a giant anthology every couple of months would that be more on board for you than just a monthly comic yes I would rather have a, like a singular book drawn by the same creative team 
then like watch the creative team, the art style change every issue. I, I would, I would rather have that every single time, like every six months, give me 90 new pages of the story. I'm good. That's why I love like the DC earth one stuff yes. you know, where it's the same team doing direct to graphic novel. That for me is so much more digestible. Like, okay, great. I can go buy this one book, read it in a year from now. I'll see the next one or whatever it is. <laughs> great. Cool. I'm happy with that. Well, I think you're also going to be happy with this next story. Okay. It's reported that the legal rights issues regarding the character of Miracle Man following the bankruptcy of Eclipse Comics are nearly settled. It's about time. <laughs> Seriously. Marlowe and company are moving forward with plans to reprint the classic stories by Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman as graphic novels with new covers and hopefully better color resolution. This doesn't actually happen, obviously, as there is another decade of legal battles involving Todd McFarlane, Neil Gaiman, and others until Marvel finally walks away with the victory and begins the reprints of Marvel Man and Miracle Man. So, Jason, just, you know, I'm a huge Miracle Man fan. When Me they too. Did all, when they did all the reprints and everything, I bought the entire run. My first Bowen designed statue was Miracle Man. And uh, I have that. It's like my one of my prized possessions. It's so funny that it took so long for it to get figured out. And it's one of those characters that it's just such an interesting character. And I would love to see it in, in live action at some point. And it's still not even done. It's not done. There's, it's not done still. We, I, I don't know why this character is a black hole. Like the entire time you're reading that article, I just said to myself, I was like, wow, time is a circle. Yeah. Like this is 30 years ago. And you could have printed that article yesterday. I know it's yeah. still going on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like the, and, and it's funny because the way that they did the reprints, like it's just kind of very interesting and it was a cool narrative for a while. And I'm like, I just want to know how it ends. <laughs> to the end, I'm so mad. And if it does actually ever, ever happen, I will buy the rest of it and get it all done. Same. I'm the same. I, I love the character. It, it, that's why. I'm so invested in this and why I wanted to finish. And because I like this character, I want more from this character. Well, keep our fingers crossed. It, it is funny to me though. Overall, it's whoever just says, Oh, I have the rights. And then everybody else is like, prove it, you know? <laughs> and so that's what it is. You publish a few here while you claim you have the rights. So anyway, all right. Next up here though, wizard reports that Marvel is opening up a Marvel mania restaurant at the E zone shopping center outside the universal studios, or Orlando theme park in January, 1998 a couple years off, but they're giving us a heads up. Basically, it's Planet Hollywood for comic book fans. Uh, this establishment never opens in Orlando, however, as Universal Studios instead opens their Marvel Islands of Adventure Park, which contained many Marvel-themed eateries within the park. Uh, but this is all according to a post I found on spiderfan.org from 1998. Ooh, okay. He's like, I, I work Universal <laughs> Studios Orlando and they're not opening it. But Marvel Mania does open for just one year of operation at the Universal City Walk in Hollywood. I actually had the pleasure of enjoying a meal there with my friends. Before what? Okay, what did you have? The spider nuggets? Well, so this <laughs> that sounds terrible. I know. Have spider nuggets. I, I was looking it up and I was I, in my mind, it was always called mutant minestrone soup. That's what I thought I ate. But then I, I found a scan of the menu online that doesn't exist. It was Aunt May's chicken noodle soup. And I was like, oh, I got Aunt okay. May's soup. Was it wheat right. cakes? Like it wasn't wheat cakes? Better God. than wheat cakes. I'm glad. Yeah, I didn't so have to choke that I, down. I have a fun factoid for me about Universal Studios, in particular, Islands of Adventure. When I was in high school, 
uh, I was in the DECA marketing club. Do you guys remember hearing of DECA? It was like a national no. marketing club for, cool. you know, and, and I had gotten a preliminary, almost like a high school version of an internship with Universal Studios. And we used to go into the city every couple of weeks and we would preview movies that were coming out. They would give us samples of music and CDs and comics and whatever. We would go through them. And at the end of the school year, they flew everybody from New York, a group from LA and a group from Florida to Orlando for a week. And we stayed in Islands of Adventure and got like a VIP pass to run amok in the wow. park. And, and as a capstone to that, we got to see the first X-Men movie in the theater on the park before it was released in the theaters. And we had to review the park. And at the end, they sat down like, we're going to reveal to you all the top secret next theme park for Universal Studios. And it was like this, the biggest park in the world they were going to do. And it was either in China or Japan. I forget exactly where. And they had all these cool things. They're like, it's going to be exclusive to this country. And I'm like, but then I can't go. I, how, I can't go to their Marvel <laughs> Studios over there. And the park never happened. <laughs> it was because of me. I was like, we can't go there. <laughs> you should have showed more enthusiasm. Yes. It would have been over there fault. too. I ruined it. I ruined it for, for Universal. Who knew? But yeah, there's a little fun fact. Anyway, oh, man. I digress. <laughs> Speaking of fun facts, I had completely forgotten about the wizard section, the buzz box until reading this issue. Uh, and this issue's buzz box, you know, it's primarily functioned around Chris Claremont's going to return to the X-Men, uh, which he eventually does. And it gives the X-Men lots of new goggles and terrible costumes. <laughs> Says Jim Lee's might be going back to Wildcats. Buzz has learned that there might be plans for a four-issue all-image crossover written by Alan Moore with art by Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, which I think never happens. Uh, but mainly, it's uh, Dan Jurgens says that he's going to be done with the sensational Spider-Man with issue number six. That is the Ben Riley title. And he says, and I quote, there was a difference of opinion between me and the editorial staff over the direction of the character and the book. And uh, having interviewed uh, Mr. Jurgens a couple of times, he's a lovely fellow. And uh, that to me reads of that there were, he had a story that he wanted to do and they told him no. And he was like, bye bye. They should have just let him do it, whatever it was, because <laughs> I bet you it was good. I would agree. All right. Well, you know, guys, we're going to get into it now because there is so much more to discuss. Can't wait to hear all your thoughts and your memories here. But just to catch up to speed with our table of contents. Wizard issue 55 with a March 1996 cover date featured two amazing Jim Lee covers. The first was of the very popular Gen 13 Kids that was commemorating Lee's return to penciling comics with issues six and seven of that series, which we just reviewed in mini episode 53.5. The second was the debut of Lee's rendition of the Fantastic Four as part of the Heroes Reborn event at Marvel. And I'm going to read to you here what they had to say about this particular cover from the big book of covers says originally wizard 55 featured a single cover which was the gen 13 cover but the announcement of marvel's heroes reborn deal where famous ex-marvel artists relaunched core marvel books forced us to stop the presses scramble to put together a story and work with jim lee under an impossible deadline to get a new cover created so it says here the breakneck result this cover was the first piece of finished art created as part of the heroes reborn project debuting the event so a wizard exclusive guys they had it for heroes reborn that's kind of cool i mean i i love the gen 13 cover but i think this fantastic four cover is cooler 
I have always uh, loved these costumes for the Fantastic Four because they look very utilitarian and not silly like some Fantastic mm-hmm. Four costumes do. But here's the thing. When I open up this PDF that you sent me of this old uh, issue and I saw the Fantastic Four issue, it confirmed that this is one of the issues I got in the mail. I re- remembered this cover. I was like, I remember this cover like crazy. Um, it's a beautiful cover. It's really, really nice. Wizard had, man, that's the thing about Wizard. Wizard had like amazing covers back in the day. Yeah. What was the Catwoman one that, the, that it was never in an I- issue? Yeah, so- J- Jim Ballant, basically every time Jim Ballant did a cover, Back when they were doing posters inside, it would never be the poster of his cover. It would, they would always have to do an alternate inside. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Never got your Jim Ballant Catwoman to put on the wall. Sorry. I'll have to check the poster manias, though, because sometimes, you know, they would put the covers in there. But uh, speaking of those bad girls, Vampirella had a mini comic that was packed into this issue. Ding, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let it begin. And contained a mail away offer for a Vampirella half issue. So yes, when they were well into their half issues, they were loving it. It all started with the max people went gaga. So Vampirella got to get one, but now it is time to get back to this cover that Jason held in his hands, folded in half from the mailbox. Many crinkles. <laughs> the cover story here is called The Art of the Deal, which contains the inside scoop on Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld being contracted by Marvel Comics to produce four titles, Captain America, The Avengers, Fantastic Four, and Iron Man through their Extreme and Wildstorm studios, respectively. Now, Rob says right out of the gate, quote, I already told Mark Wade that I was not going to be changed Captain America's costume. Mark <laughs> Wade was the writer at this time, but Wizard then reveals he replaced the classic A on Cap's head with an eagle. So yeah, just, you know, classic Rob, he does whatever he wants. You know, he's just like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but it also, it's not just Rob this time around, you know, miffing people, because in a total slap to the face of current Marvel staffers, Jim Lee says, quote, I think Marvel needs great talent for all these great characters that they have. Without great writing and great art, these books are going to fall flat. So <laughs> commenting on that state of the affairs. It, look, it was true. They were not doing well. That's why they brought them on to boost sales and get excitement going. But still, it's Ouch, you know, that's uh, got to feel bad. We'll hear from those Marvel staffers shortly here. But Rob adds to all this the fact that, quote, Avengers is in need of a major rehaul. The title has been floundering for years. And editor-in-chief Bob Harris declares, quote, we're hoping this deal with Rob and Jim just gets people back to buying and enjoying comics, that this will be the first step in making comics a fun business again. Because we're throwing Rob and Jim a ton of money and we need to pay back. (laughs) There is. If you've ever listened to Rob Liefeld's podcast. Oh, no, uh, he hates us, so I don't listen to him. Oh, he, he does? Oh, he interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> he has an episode on Heroes Reborn, and he goes into a lot of details about... That's like the only couple episodes I've listened, because I, well, I was like, I want to know about this. And yeah, he talks about something... I want to say, like, I could be wrong. Like, it was like a $4 million per... Like, he got like $4 yeah, million. Yeah, they each got $3 million. Yeah. Oh, that's that, right. That's right. Yeah. It was a lot for comics. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a four part series of episodes plus epilogues that cover like his other like future projects after Heroes Reborn, the God of Illegal Trouble. So I really it's really the best thing Rob has accomplished uh, in the world of podcasting was that series. So I, I recommend it. I'm right there with Jason. Go back and check it out. I've re-listened to it. It is so fascinating. So with these books, Fantastic Four ends up being written by Brandon Choi with art by Jim Lee. Iron Man is scripted by Scott Lobdell with Will Sportacio on art duties. 
Meanwhile, the Avengers is scripted by Jeff Loeb with art by Rob for the first issue and then chap yap after that, while Captain America is again being scripted by Jeff Loeb with Rob handling the art. Uh, speaking of which, uh, this is the issue of Wizard where the infamous cat boobs appear, okay? Not once, not twice, but mm-hmm. three times throughout the issue in varying sizes. And Rob claims that this was not a big deal back in the day, that nobody talked about this till the internet became a thing. I remember seeing these pictures back in the day. I remember this too. I remember people talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely was a thing, (laughs) but it's, it's kind of crazy because the pose is used another time. We already had this big breakthrough, how he originally did that pose for a promo piece for a comic he never produced called thunder agents. And then, you know, that Mm -hmm. came out and then, for an actual issue for Captain America number six, his last issue on it, he actually used that pose one more time with just the chest meat was slightly reduced, you know, but it was almost <laughs> <chest> identical. Meat. <laughs> is that so, an actual <laughs> chest meat? It no is now. Oh my God. But let me ask you guys, when Heroes Reborn happened, were you interested? Did you buy these books? I bought all of them, at least the first issue. I did the first issue also. Yes. I think the only two I went all the way through were Iron Man and Fantastic Four. I think I bought both of those. For me at the time, I actually think, I think they're correct. I had no interest in the Avengers fans. No no one did. Before before Heroes Reborn. And then when I saw this art in, I guarantee you it was Wizard. Seeing this art in Wizard, I was like, holy cow. I bought all of them. And to be honest with you, the Fantastic Four are some of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe Mm -hmm. because of Heroes Reborn. Wow! It was the first Fantastic Four story I ever read. Um, Now, I know that's probably sounding shocking to people because they're like, but it's so bad. But I'm like, but it did exactly what it needed to do. It was my gateway into these characters. So I definitely did not read them, though, uh, okay. <laughs> from looking at the art. I remember how like slick they looked on the shelves of the comic book store and all of that. But they stood had, out. Yeah, definitely. The coloring, just everything about them was woo. But I didn't read Jim and Rob's stuff before, so I didn't feel like I wanted to read them now. Like their style never really appealed to me. Like X-Men for Jim, like was just in the zeitgeist. So for a while I was on that bandwagon, but I it was never a big deal for me. But this last month in preparation for this episode, I read through like the full run of Iron Man, which I thought was great writing wise, like story wise and like the scripting and everything was wonderful. I don't know what Will Sportacio's doing or what he thinks about human anatomy, but everybody's necks are so stretched out. They look like aliens. <laughs> yeah, very weird. Yeah, I didn't know if that was his standard but style. I will that, say but. this. I love that stupid armor so much. The fact that the Iron Man armor has tailpipes. Listeners cannot see this, but the gentleman can see that there's a shelf of action figures above my head. I have the Marvel Legends for the Heroes Reborn Iron Man up there on that shelf. You really? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did like the helmet look on this particular version of Iron Man a lot. I don't know why. I just liked the almost like a jawline sort of angle mm-hmm. to it. It was cool. Yeah, it was yeah. an interesting redesign for sure. Now, what I will say on Captain America as I read through it, uh, it was full of art that literally leapt off the page. Like the poses themselves are just like in your face and everything. Classic Liefeld, you know, but the Cap character to me felt like a patriotic robot. I'm not saying anyone who is patriotic is a robot or brainwashed <laughs> or something. I love my country. I, I 
I'm saying that the way it was written, it sounded like all of Cap's dialogue was just cribbed from like presidential speeches from the decades before, like the speeches of FDR. Yeah. Like he was just lecturing on American history as he punched bad guys in the face. Like it was just very strange. And it it wasn't actually until after Rob and Jeff leave and with number seven, James Robinson takes over. He starts talking like a human being. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that's where everybody stopped buying the book. But for me, I was like, oh. Okay, I can relate to this person now. But that all being said, of all the Rob Liefeld art we've checked out, and we've given him so many chances on this show, Captain America is the best he's ever looked on the page. I agree. The art's really good. And you gotta give you gotta give Rob some kudos because like I remember his final issue on Captain America. He was like, I'm gonna team up with cable. And I was like, All right, go for it. <laughs> he was just having a good time. It's yeah. Like, you got the money and you got to do whatever you wanted. You won, Rob. You won. <laughs> that, see, that's my that's my same argument for what you guys are going to get to in like in a couple of years where with Electric Superman, which mm-hmm. is like, like a lot of people hate that. But I'm just like, you know what? Electric Superman's a hell of a swing for all those you know, writers. They were having fun. <laughs> I don't hate that. I actually had the one of the, the blue action figure of that back mm-hmm. in the day. I like that. I one. do, too. Yeah. I have a bunch of them. <laughs> but forget that red guy. He's crap. Red Superman. That's right. No. Yeah, it was that, hard yeah. to blue find. I couldn't, fi- I couldn't find the red one when I was a kid. <laughs> there was nowhere to be found. Well, so, you know, we're sharing our thoughts on Heroes Reborn, but I think it's very important. Wizard was reporting what professionals and the community of fans were thinking about this. So they mentioned that an anonymous fan posted online, quote, <laughs> I think Rob and Jim are traitors. They leave Marvel in the name of creator rights, but now come back whimpering like dogs because their separate studios are not selling as well as they used to. They're not whimpering at, at $12 million for four <laughs> issues. <laughs> But then still to this day might be the biggest comic book deal of all time. Oh, yeah, that's pretty huge. Yeah. Bendis got a pretty big deal at DC for a while, too. That's true. That's true. <laughs> There's a response from another fan who says, quote, I don't consider Liefeld and Lee traitors. They weren't the ones doing the most spinning in Marvel's direction because that's McFarlane and Larson. They were the guys that like hated Marvel. You know? But then several Marvel artists are spinning mad as Ron Garney, who was the artist on Captain America with Mark Wade that got ousted for Rob's relaunch, says, quote, It just seems like a real desperate move on Marvel's part. I think I would have more respect for the decision had it been done with the books that really needed the overhaul, not with books that were already on the upswing. But the amount of sales as reported on the Observations podcast for these books, I don't think any of the current staff was going to bring it up to there, no matter how an upswing. Yeah. But the recently departed Dan Jurgens points out that, quote, it certainly is a show of no faith by Marvel in its editorial and creative people. At the same time, it's a big victory for Rob and Jim and creators in general. I hope they pull it off and have great success with it. The industry needs it. So classy, Dan Jurgens. He's always classy. That's why he's a pro. That's why he's been working for 40 years. Uh, but Punisher artist Tom Lyle declares, quote, as a person currently working for Marvel, I'm insulted that they had to go outside of the company to save the company. I don't think it needed saving. So what do you guys think? Did it need saving? Was this necessary at this time to keep everybody connected to the world of comics and Marvel? Oh. I'll let our guest go first because he's he's smarter than me. So. Oh, I I, don't, I doubt that. But yes, yeah, a hundred percent. These books needing to save me. I'm gonna even say a statement that I know people are gonna call me bonkers for. I don't think we get the Avengers movie without Heroes Reborn. Wow! Because if you track the Avengers books post this relaunch, they are bestsellers in the top. You know, they are like great Avengers run 
consistently from here to the movie. I agree. Like, I think without this relaunch, I think Marvel would have done what they did to Fantastic Four like about eight years ago. They would have been like, let's just not publish that title for three or four years. And in today's market, that's crazy to think about that. At one point, Marvel was like, let's shelve the Avengers. Yeah, without this, they could have just buried the Avengers in their leather jackets. Uh, Yeah, because that was right before this. Yeah, everybody had like cargo vests with too many pouches. I do think that this was a good thing for the industry. I wonder if it's a combination of both saving Marvel or buying it time, but also maybe costing it. The ultimate, you know, what it comes down to is just Marvel was buying every company and they were totally, you know, in debt. And that was just, that was their downfall. It had nothing to do with their comic sales. I don't think ultimately it was just like, we are overextended. We can't afford they to were run ver- this company. I mean, they had so many different versions of cards and everything back then. It was like, a bit like the baseball cards and they all that stuff. Every bit of the business. Yep. So yeah, yeah. There, there's an interesting quote. I think that answers your question too, Adam, on one of the, on page 37, they highlight a quote. They say, said one fan, if he can get the writing on track, Jim Lee could bring the FF back from the dead. Actually, he can probably bring any book back from the dead. And I think that's true of Jim Lee. But the fact that a fan was saying that in 96, I think, tells you everything you know about these titles. Yeah. And the truth is, like, the books just became more cinematic after this. Mm-hmm. Heroes Reborn showed you how to make a book look like a movie. And with the coloring, just the backgrounds especially are really impressive. But we have more to talk about Heroes Reborn and the issues to come because this is just the announcement. So we'll be back of that soon enough but next up here in the article spin doctor we have an interview with kurt Busick about the explosion in his notoriety as a talented comic book writer in the wake of marvels he was now writing untold tales of spider-man which found him writing stories set in the early days of peter parker's crime-fighting career but like in between the spaces of the 60s issues that stanley and steve ditko were doing so it's really interesting he actually says that originally marvel editorial had set it during peter parker's college years, offered it to a different writer and they backed out. And then Busick said, quote, I called Tom Brevoort and said, how dare you start a book like this without me? And then he went and wrote an outline for six issues and just got approval to move forward and take on the series. And the truth is, like, whenever we mention this online, even like not directly, like I've put up things where it was in the background of a page and they're like, that was such a good book. That was such a good book. So people loved it at the time. But I'm curious for you guys, did you read Untold Tales of Spider-Man, did you know about that? I only knew about it because of Wizard Magazine. Okay. And then I finally got to read it in college. And I actually believe that it is one of the best Spider-Man series of all time. Wow. It is like I, so underrated. If, if you <laughs> yep. say it's one of the best, yep. now I have to read it. Oh, it yes. is. But you have to realize that when he says that it is a comic book that fits in between the issues of the original Spider-Man stories, that he writes it in that style. So it feels like a 1960s comic book. But there's like such good, like there's an issue of it. There's one of the issues in it where he sort of retcons Mary Jane and he retcons that Mary Jane always knew Peter was Spider-Man since she was like 16 because one day she was like looking at her window and she saw him hop out the window as Spider-Man. And she's like, oh my God. And she just kept it quiet. 
which I love. I love that retcon a lot. But no, it's, it's such a great series. Curb Music is like one of my favorite comic book writers of all time. Here's the crazy thing about this to me, because it like the beginning of this article goes, Music 35, continues to be one of the comic's busiest and best writers. And I'm like, that man always looked 40. He was 35 when he was writing all these titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was wow. crazy because he had been around for quite a while, but he was like working as an editor and then mm-hmm. a sometimes writer and all this stuff. And they, you know, the 90s where he got to explode. I will say on Untold Tales of Spider-Man, I didn't know that it existed because I only remember the John Byrne chapter one, the Spider-Man oh, yeah. chapter one series that came out a few years later. It felt like a similar thing. So this must have just gotten painted over in my mind. Like if I ever heard of it, I didn't remember it. But at this time as well, Busick now has Astro City and Image Comics. Of course, he's dealing with superhero archetypes about which he says, quote, I made a rule for myself that I'm not going to put anybody in the book that simply I like this character. I'll change his name. I'll change his costume and stick him in a book. I'll go to the base of the archetype and build a new character, which I would say puts him in severe contrast to one image founder in particular who we've just spoken about. But Busick's also working on the new Shadowhawk for Jim Valentino, which just seems like, really? (laughs) The new Shadowhawk? Okay. I actually have a few issues. It's very interesting. Is that the Shadowhawk that gets HIV? No, that's so that character had already died. Oh, apologies. Okay. Okay. That's why it's the new Shadowhawk. Ah, I see. Inventing the whole like mythology, like there was always a Shadow Hawk. You know? Oh, right. All <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> but for you guys, just when you think of Kurt Music, you know, you said Untold Tales of Spider Man, big one for you, Jason. But do you have another favorite project of his? I mean, Astro City is definitely, and it just returned. It is definitely like one of my favorite superhero comic books of all time. Uh, but, you know, uh, a thing that I don't think gets a lot of love is I think. Kurt Music has written the greatest Avengers run of all time. And that is the run that takes place right after Heroes Reborn. Oh, yeah. He writes it for like, I think, 80 issues. Um, And he's like, he's the person that like rehabilitated Ultron and made like Ultron a threat. He gave Scarlet Witch a lot of uh, power, but like, it's my favorite Avengers run of all time. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, a forgotten run that people don't talk Mm -hmm. about enough for sure. Written, uh, drawn by George Perez for the first 20 issues. That is impressive. What about for you, Michael? Anything with Kurt Busiek that jumps to mind? Well, I, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of you're, Jason. You remember the the run of Superman uh, Secret Identity? Yeah, that he also wrote. Yeah, yeah, I really like that book a lot. I've wanted to get an Astro City for so long, but it's just it's such a I'm so far behind now. I'm like, I'll never catch up. Do you guys have an episode on it that I can get like a, a history lesson on it that I can just go? <laughs> we don't, but here, here's what I just saw this because Astro City just returned. They yeah. just published because Astro City has returned to image when it was yeah. at D. So it was at image. It went to uh, Wildstorm for a long time. Then it went to DC. Now yeah. it's back at image. And image just put out like a soft trade paperback of like the first 20 issues of Astro City. And they said that they're going to collect like everything Astro City for the last 25 years in like three trades. So like, I think it just I think it just came out this week, actually. Oh, cool. I'll have to check it out. I highly, highly recommend Astro City. And here's the thing. There's nothing to catch up on because each issue is like a brand new story. And there is a loose. The continuity is the continuity of the city, not Mm -hmm. the story. Okay. 
Yeah, and it, Michael, I can recommend that you go back and listen to one of our mini episodes where I reviewed <laughs> the first 12 issues and you can get some idea of what it's about. I'm just saying, it, listen it, to the show. It, <laughs> it shows how much I don't listen to the show. I'm the worst. I'm the right. worst. The listeners are screaming. Yeah, <laughs> I'm but, really the epic man of this, this podcast. <laughs> What's so interesting, though, is right. They have this Kurt Busick interview. And then right after that, the man who I just see them as two sides of the same coin, Mark Wade. Yes. The wizard Q&A with Mark Wade, where they say we're getting a a look in the mind of the most prolific comic book writer of the 90s, I feel. And at this point in time, you know, Wade is still writing The Flash and Impulse at DC. Kingdom Come is on the horizon. He had taken over X-Men for Marvel, about to be replaced on Captain America by Jeff Loeb, because this was actually done several months prior but he gets to come back he gets to come back spoilers for a future episode comes back around (laughs) but it was interesting to find out that his first published comics work was a superman kind of mystery story about the fortress of solitude in action comics number 572 and then he went to work at dc full-time in 1987 and he was an editor on legion of superheroes and doom patrol he says quote i miss being an editor to tell you the truth if i had my druthers i'd just as soon be an editor as a writer you just get a chance to put your finger in more pies that way which I think it's a fascinating take, right? It just tells you how much influence an editor has that maybe people take for granted the power of the editor and some writers probably uh, shake their fist at. It's, you know, it's the one part of the comic industry that I think a lot of fans don't realize is that many times you will read a writer that you really love and you'll read their story from specifically the big two and you'll say, what the heck is this? This is nothing like, and it's because the editor or the editor in chief or the publisher had already decided what the story was and literally went to this writer and said, it's going to be this, figure out how to make it work or else you don't write the book. And most creatives will take the opportunity instead of turning that down. You know, it's funny. Mark Wade is like one of the few people that were like working in DC in the nineties that I was like, you should have been editor in chief of DC. Like you should have had control of the entire universe. And I would have loved to have seen what you would have done with it. He had a cool vision for it, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because, you know, he has this like love of like Silver Age continuity and DC history, you know, much like your podcast over there, Jason. So he like just seemed to love it so much. And the interviewer, Tom Russo at this time, he's surprised to learn that Wade says, I'm in my early 30s. I would not like to get <laughs> to 40 without ever having tried television or screenplays. And Russo explains, I assume you had to be maybe in your 40s with some of the comics history, you know, to which Wade replies, nah, I just started reading at an early age. I can't imagine, though, being in my 40s and still writing about teenagers almost exclusively. That seems to be on the edge of creepy, which (laughs) I thought that's a good stopping point for yourself. You're like, yep, okay, not anymore. (laughs) And he's still writing comics yeah. to this day. Wow. Crazy. So let me ask you then, is Mark Wade on your Mount Rushmore of DC comics writers or comic book writers in general? Do you put him up there? I think he has to be just based on Wally West Flash. Look at the CW Flash show. It owes everything to the Mark Wade run, yeah. even though they just scraped off the name and called it Barry Allen. I, I mean, I don't think did there's no doubt. Did he write an episode proper of the show? Did they let him write? He did not, but that could be, you know, 
who knows with studios and networks, there's a million things there. Um, but you can tell they, they've literally adapted episodes of the show that are based on his comic books. I mean, that Flash show would not exist without Mark Wade. He's 100% on there. And I, and I will say this when you're talking about his like encyclopedic knowledge, we had him on Geek History Lesson for our Justice League episode. And he schooled me several times about <laughs> stories I had never heard of before. And he was like, oh, yes, remember this and this and this. And I was like, what is that? So, yes. I mean, you gentlemen, do you agree that he should yeah, be on the Mount Rushmore? Oh, I think so. Just between the Flash run and Kingdom Come, like Kingdom Come was one of those comics that like at this time, I wasn't reading comics because girls. But when my buddy gave me Kingdom Come, he's like, you got to read this. And I was just like yeah, mind blown by it. It was well, amazing. What's interesting for me is that I, you know, I've re- reread Kingdom Come multiple times, yeah. but and I only just recently read, you know, a chunk of his Flash run. Obviously, I haven't read the whole thing. That would take a long time. But I did try out his Irredeemable book for like five or six issues when it first started. Oh, I have like the whole run, actually. Well, yeah, the concept sounded good, but it didn't click with me. Just over, over time, I was just like, it feels repetitive and a murder mystery with evil Superman. Like it just didn't work for me it's, it's good until about volume 10 it gets kind of like wonky and it, well but. But that's the thing though i applaud his volume of work and just his consistency because he's like peter david to me he's mm-hmm. always there he's always solid i can't point to anything as like a signature style of mark wade where like his writing a book meant something to me but that's just for lack of familiarity you know I would he say. also has a really great run on the fantastic four Wow, see, yeah. he's touching everybody. I've never read a Mark Wade story that I thought was like dumb and boring and stupid. Like Mark Wade is either going to give you like excellent or okay. Like I've never read one of his books and been like, ah, throw that in the trash. But and that that's, I think, where the consistency, that's the, they're always upbeat. They generally point at something to the Silver Age. He's just consistent. I think that really it counts for something. That means so much because so many people could burn bright and burn, you know, he has not done that. Just the, his passion and everything has carried him through. But I will say this next article here features an interview with a creator I do know a bit more about and more familiar <laughs> with. Paradise Found is a, a talk with Strangers in Paradise creator Terry Moore about his journey to publishing this popular indie book with women as the stars and not always scantily clad women, sometimes, but not always. He says, quote, I don't claim to be an expert on women or even know what I'm writing about. I'm just a lot more interested in these two women who I could fall in love with and in finding out what makes them tick than I am in any guy's story. Though Moore admits that the series began as, quote, a knee-jerk reaction to all the man-bashing that was so severe in the media. After taking as much as I could take, I wrote the miniseries to show where it leads, if all men are pigs. <laughs> then after the success of the miniseries, Moore relates, quote, I knew I could do better. I fell in love with the characters and respected them, and I wanted to show there were more sides to them than a bitch blonde and a helpless brunette. So he wants to flesh them out, even if he's a little rough around the edge and explaining it. It's interesting to note, though, Terry Moore was 41 when he started writing this comic. He had been in a rock band for 10 years. He was married. He had kids. Like, he was going to be an a- animator, and he gave up on that. And he just decided to go into creating comics. Uh, and, of course, he is best known for his illustrations of female characters with what maybe we call just average bodies. He explains, quote, I confess, I have a real weakness for brunettes who aren't skinny. I wanted Francine to be more my idea of the normal American 
American girl next door you fall in love with. I resent the pressure America puts on women to look like Sidney Crawford. She isn't someone I'd want to marry. Just really interesting take on all of this. So Terry Moore, guys, where are you at with Terry Moore? Do you know his work? Have you read it? Have you enjoyed it? Oh, yeah. Like I, I Strangers in Paradise is very lauded. You know, it's the weirdest thing about this is this is like the third article in a row where Wizard is like the 41 year old, the 35 year old, the yeah. 20. Like articles don't do that anymore. We were so, oh. like, it was very much like the 12 year old. You're like, yes. oh, okay. <laughs> you know? All right. Um, you know, Strangers in Paradise is one of those things that like it really captured the zeitgeist in the 90s. I haven't read it in years. So I'd be very curious to see if it held up. But like for the time, it was. I totally understand why it was nominated for everything. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like where we're talking about longevity. I mean, it Mm -hmm. just kept going and going, you know, like it just every I actually used to go to this used bookstore a lot and I would just see the trades like lining the shelves like there was just so much Strangers in Paradise to be had. And I enjoyed it. The few issues I read, but definitely at this time I was not reading it. It was not for me. It was, you know, for the college age kids, people in their 20s. But his finest work for me is Echo. Oh, yeah. I can't recommend highly enough. People seek out that series. It's got like a full collected edition. I have that. I had the individual trades before that. It's just solid sci-fi superhero adventure comics. Great characters. Awesome dialogue. If you want a bunch of nude or topless sketches of his Kachu and Francine characters, follow him on Twitter because- Oh, is that what he's doing right now? Okay. Just every other thing is just, you know, I woke up this morning. I'm just in my panties. I'm like, so be it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, like, well, how, like, 41, like, how old, he would be definitely in his uh, yeah. 60s by now. Probably, yeah, close to 70 almost. Well, one of the things that we haven't gotten yet in the world of comic book movies is Strangers in Paradise, but it could be due for an HBO series soon enough. But why don't you take us into Heroes in Motion? First, we've got screenwriter John Terman has written a script for a Hulk live action feature, which was accepted after bringing his copy of Hulk number one to be signed by Stan Lee at a pitch meeting. Terman reveals that he had Jack Kirby sign the comic several years prior. Quote, I'm a big fan of comic books and I'm also a fan of movies. The Hulk script has been optioned by producer Gail Ann Hurd and is being refined by Zach Penn, who's done a lot of different comic book movie stuff. Yeah. Marvel movies that actually do get made. This Hulk story involves the leader as the main villain who becomes increasingly physically frail as he gets smarter. The only way to save his life is to detonate a much bigger bomb and harness the full release of gamma rays. It's quite a plan. <laughs> yeah. Turbin has also written a Silver Surfer script for Constantine Films, a company who financed the, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, then shelved it. Sorry, Stephen, as, as you just got the newest version of your Blu-ray of the movie. That's right. <laughs> uh, this story is based on a Silver Surfer Galactus trilogy from the comics. Terman has most recently been hired to write a prime script that 
thank God didn't get made <laughs> by Universal Studios, which he describes as Superman meets big. And sadly or not sadly, none of these scripts ever made it to the theaters. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, he had a, a run of stuff going there and it sounds like you know his scripts got handed over to other people to finish, I guess, when yeah. the movies finally came out. He did make some paychecks on movies that didn't get made. Oh, yeah. Good. That ain't so. bad. Now, Michael, in the world of random Hollywood rumors, there's a couple things going on here. For example, Wizard reports that George Clooney has decided not to play the Green Hornet, as Steven told us, instead taking the role of the Peacemaker in a film produced by Steven Spielberg at the newly formed DreamWorks. So that's really interesting. I didn't remember the Peacemaker was a DreamWorks movie, even though I just got that on VHS. So many of my recent additions to the library here in this issue. Now, they also erroneously report that Val Kilmer will not be playing the saint which of course he does instead of starring in batman and robin but speaking of which uh, alicia silverstone is rumored to be batgirl in the fourth bat film which happens but now sharon stone is supposedly in the running for the role of poison ivy would have been a very different film (laughs) yes now the peacemaker movie though is that based on a comic book like the peacemaker or like no, i mean i've it's seen that movie it's related to the right. hbo series that was based on the comics it was just like an original script i guess that somehow they were able to call the peacemaker yeah yeah, yeah i don't know how i would feel about a sharon stone poison ivy like granted i love uma thurman and i don't love her in that movie at all yeah but that's a story from the day that that'll be one of our movies we talk about down the road as jason mentioned earlier big entertainment the publishers of techno comics will be releasing an adaptation of from dust till dawn as a graphic novel which is highlighted as the format for all future projects big entertainment ceo Mitchell Rubenstein says of their audience, our comics attract an older, more affluent demographic that prefers that format. I just think it's interesting. They're like, we're only doing graphic novels now. That's the only way you'll get it. We got people that are rich enough to buy the graphic novel versions. So he's doing the gentrification of comics, apparently. Also in the works is a Tom Clancy concept called NetForce, set in the year 2025, folks. (laughs) Three years from now, it features a branch of the FBI staffed by teenage agents who use computer technology to investigate crimes that take place online with computers. They use computer technology. Oh, those kids, you know, they love those computers. They love the computers and the hacking and the things over here. (laughs) Sounds great, right? I don't know about that. Okay, this bothers me so much. So there's an article that says, The Crow Must Go On uh, is a report of an on-set visit during the filming of The Crow, City of Angels, featuring interviews with first-time film director Tim Pope, no relation to Adam, (laughs) and star Vincent Perez about the new direction for this sequel of The Crow. The director declares, I definitely think Vincent Perez will be known in America after this film. Crickets. Uh, the new star says of this role i think the first crow is more edgar Allan poe while my crow is a mixture of jim morrison and hamlet (laughs) okay well i will tell you right now i've never seen the crow city of angels and i don't want to More well, or less. you're not missing much. I I have seen it. It's 
much more copper or brown than the black and white color scheme of the original, you know? Mm. And I, I, cause I just rewatched the original. And I thought it was, you know, really a special film. Obviously I see why people love it so much. I hadn't watched it many times before. It ain't influenced, you know, I texted you and Steven this. I was just like, I see stuff from the matrix. I see yeah. stuff from the Ben Affleck daredevil. Like the, they ripped a lot of stuff from the crow, but city of angels. It just, it has a lot of water imagery. I remember oh, that, really? but I, I cannot connect with any of the characters in that movie. Like there's just nothing that I'm just like, I'm not invested like you were in Eric Draven's story. The only thing that got me excited about Crow City of Angels was Thai Trang, who was Trini on Power Rangers, plays a villain who gets killed. And I was like, what? I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, you know, as you referenced, you know, that the first Crow movie, a lot of other movies have stolen from them. the biggest standout thing is when he lights the crow on fire and then we get the DD and Daredevil yeah. Yeah. on fire uh it's literally almost the exact same shot for shot how they did that and like running uh, on the rooftops and everything yeah yeah it's just like it's crazy so do you know of any other vincent perez movies in america that that came as a result of this film i sure don't i looked up his imdb and he did like one more movie in america and literally everything else is like european movies and all these yeah so no he definitely did not break big here unfortunately for him Man, so it's a shame but uh speaking of big get the muscles get buff over here wizard interviews fitness model turned actress Corey everson who has been linked to a live action she hulk movie she says quote i was first contacted by oliver stone about it for NBC. They went through some script changes and now it's at CBS. I got a call a couple of months ago saying that it's going to be done. I've known the Marvel Comics people and Stan Lee for years. So I just think that's interesting, the history of it. Oliver Stone was going to make a She-Hulk movie? A I TV could never movie? see it. I could never see no. that. Oh, you know, obviously this never happens, but we are getting She-Hulk finally getting a series on Disney Plus soon. I am so excited. You know, I've seen Moon Knight. Okay, Moon Knight, whatever. Bring on she-Hulk. That's yeah. all and, I need this year. And rumor has it, though, Kristen Ritter has been on set for the She-Hulk show. Oh, cool. So they're, they're saying they may be tying that together. So yeah, I'm glad there wasn't a made-for-TV movie of She-Hulk by Oliver Stone, because it would probably be like laced with cocaine and drug addiction. <laughs> and, she was and, snorting green cocaine and she becomes She-Hulk. <laughs> What do you have over here, Bruce? Oh, <laughs> well, I just think it's great. You know, a lot of people get on Hollywood's case. Everything's CGI. Everybody's fake. Everybody says, but I'm just happy that now you can take an actress like Tatiana Maslany and say, she's a great performer. She doesn't have to have the body. That's not the prerequisite, right? It's yeah. like we could just enhance her and you get the performance still. So I think that's going to be cool to see. All right. And finally, we have yet another wizard casting call for a live action version of X Factor, the movie. And this is quite a hodgepodge of, uh, <laughs> of people that they thought would be good for this. Right out the gate, you've got everybody's favorite ponytailed martial <laughs> artist, Steven Seagal, playing Forge. You know, I, I just... Forge is a weird character to me because he's always sort of like Tony Stark light with, with mutant powers, you know? Yeah. And just to envision Steven Seagal just like 
punching wood with his bare fists and like forging things would be hilarious. I don't know. Yeah, I think it'd be really, yeah, it would have been fascinating to see him inhabit that role and be in a comic book movie. I mean, so many movies going on at this time. He should have just said yes. But they nailed Fonka Johnson as another redhead who would, she'd go on to play Jean Grey and they have her here as Mystique. So I'm like, whoa. That was fascinating. Yeah, definitely. That's a good pull. Uh, now, I love Sabretooth is played by Clancy Brown. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually wondering if they did that in their X-Men movie casting call. I'm going to have to go back and check on that because they may have already cast him once <laughs> as Sabretooth. Uh, so we got Polaris here. Uh, is, they want her to be portrayed by a Victoria's Secret model, Stephanie <laughs> Seymour. Uh, they say she doesn't need Polaris's magnetic powers to attract anyone enough to accept her in this role. So there you go. Just put on the green wig and she's ready to roll. Okay. So the next one we have is Wild child and they say wise guy Steve Buscemi from Reservoir Dogs and Desperado has that thin bony face to do this wild man justice and the picture they pull is Steve Buscemi from one of my favorite movies Airheads (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like it's the only shot they have of him with long hair oh god I love that movie so much Jason, what do you think about this next one? Uh, you talking about Jasmine Guy, who I don't even know who that actress is. You don't know is. Jasmine Guy from no. a different world? A different, like, world? different world? She's a shard. rich girl. Yeah. No, uh, Bishop's kid's sister. I mean, like, I will say this. This is like my favorite X-Factor team, so I'm glad that, that at least this is the one they cast at it, but I have no idea who this is. This is like very reminiscent of my casting call impressions reading Wizard Magazine because half the time I'd be like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know who they were pulling from. Well, on the next page here, if you're a Russ wrestling fan you're gonna know this guy oh yes they say we need a big bulky guy who could be the nasty gray beast so why not wwf wrestler sid we'd get a good makeup artist to polish him off so they're talking about you know sid justice sid vicious he had so many different names over he really did (laughs) psycho sid i forgot that one yes that was another psycho sid oh my goodness that's funny so next we have val cooper who they're saying would be Perfect for Kim Basinger. I just like, I just don't see Kim Basinger doing this kind of role, but sure. Especially since she had been in Batman at this time. Yeah. But also Val Cooper is not a super powered character, right? She's like their government liaison, I believe. So with that, you just just be, yeah, you just play a regular person. But you do got to love that Wizard made sure that we got the Val Cooper picture of her in her bikini. Yeah, yes. with an ex bikini, like just that yes, had to be from a- one of the swimsuit specials. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Oh, boy. Okay, <laughs> okay. So Apocalypse, they cast as the great voice of John Vernon from Animal House. Uh, with of course they they say they want to use CGI for Apocalypse's hulking body, which is kind of what happened once Apocalypse appeared on screen. But uh. John Vernon, all right then. Could you imagine 1996? CGI of Apocalypse. What it could look like. Oh man. Not that, rough. not that like 2018's was much better, but you know. <laughs> who knows? I just I just watched John Vernon in this like comedy movie. It's basically like a police academy in prison <laughs> called Doing Time. I just did a VHS trade and got that. Oh boy. He, he's very entertaining. I don't see him as Apocalypse, but <laughs> Adam's a big uh, VHS guy. He's, he's a real analog old school fellow. You love there. tracking. I get it. 
Yeah. Uh, now, finally, here for random. Yes, that guy whose arm can always turn into a gun. They want the boss, Brian Bosworth from Stone Cold, who I also just purchased a copy of Stone Cold on VHS. It's a great <laughs> trailer for it. He is so charismatic. It's hilarious. But yeah, so he, they want him to play this tough guy. Get him in there. I'm all for it. So <laughs> an X Factor movie. I still wonder, are we going to see that? Because basically we had X Force in Deadpool 2, but not X Factor mentioned anywhere. So maybe Kevin Feige's got some plans. We'll see. They, they had a, I think we're a long way away from an X Factor movie, if, <laughs> if you ask me. I agree. Uh, but Jason, why don't you take us into that world of toys and cards as we start talking about some merch madness? Let's kick off the merch madness here because the big news in Wizard is that the second DC versus Marvel trading card set based on the Amalgam universe is coming out. 90 cards, nine painted canvas cards, all this stuff like that. And there is an exclusive trading cards linked to Crisis on Infinity Hour. I'm bringing this up because, gentlemen, I have these cards. I don't have all of them, but I have some of these cards. And fun fact, I'm pretty certain that Ron Mars wrote the description for most of these because I want to say he tweeted about it. These are awesome. I've never gotten rid of them because you know, like when are they ever going to make trading cards with like Spider-Man and Superman on the same card? I have a couple somewhere that, that Adam has sent me over the last couple of years. I don't know where they are in the moment. Yeah, but... I, I have a near complete set as well too, Jason. Near complete. I don't have a complete set, so I'm jealous. Yeah, I'm missing like a couple of cards. So maybe we could do a trade. We'll see what we <laughs> so, do. Don't so this get is, into trades with this man. I, I'm holding up the camera. <laughs> this is one of the canvas cards. Yes. It's like Doctor Ooh. Strange Fate. I awesome. have one of those. Oh, I just, yeah, because I, I love Amalgam. I have the trades mm -hmm. here's just a bunch of them right here fighter boy and super soldier and stuff like that what's so fun about it is there was all this stuff that they you know they only could put so much in the comics and then like on the cards there's a lot of extra characters and details spider-man ben riley versus superboy on our youtube channel i just opened a sealed pack of the cards that i got that superboy versus spider-man card so yeah that's just beautiful joe Gisco, you know draw that stuff so yeah very very cool set no it's a great set and, I, and it's one of those where like, man, that would be one of the few ones that I would go and seek out on eBay and buy the it's whole. It's not cheap, man. Oh, I bet not. Yeah. I bet it's a, worth a lot. Oh, <laughs> and you said you have a complete set, Adam? A near complete set. I'm missing like wow. three or four cards. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> maybe we can do a trade. Nice. We'll see. So we want, we want to kick off this wish list as well. The yeah. uh, top 10 action figures that Wizard wants to see made and soon. Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna back up their list. I'm going to do it 10 to 1. Okay. This is more okay. exciting. Their number 10 is Chris. Crimson Dynamo from Iron Man. And they want it all shiny like Toy Biz's Iron Man. Number nine, they want Captain Pike from classic <laughs> Star Trek. They say Captain Pike, but in their description, they say we, they, we want the light up boop for yup and the boop boop for nope. That is, they means they want the injured Captain Pike from yes. the menagerie. So uh, that's a little creepy. That's a deep pull because I know what Captain Pike is. I'm like, I don't know what the heck you're That's when about. he's injured and he shows up later and he's in the uh, Futurama makes a joke about it when you're in the black box and it's like, boop, you can only talk for. Yeah. So that's uh, a little creepy wizard. They want Hulk from Marvel Heroes is number eight. Number seven is an Electro. They want it to be like Toy Biz's Mandarin. Oh, yeah. Toy Biz made all these toys. Uh, we're, and we're all spoiled now because we have Marvel Legends. So number six is Lobo, which would be a great one. Number five is Aquaman from DC Heroes. Number four is Green. Grand Moff Tarkin for Star Wars, which I believe they made because I had that figure. I think... 
Kenner only made Grand Moff Tarkin because Toy Fair talked about it all the time. Oh, I see. They were influencing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, number three is Sandman from Spider-Man. Number two is Captain America from Marvel Heroes. And then number one is kind of surprising to me. It's the classic Havoc, which Marvel Legends has made several times at this point. Several times now. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Havoc's an interesting character, too. Like, it's got a lot of different looks, but like, this is like the most iconic look that head they have right there, I think, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. Those big I, loops going out there. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think there's a Marvel Legends set that's coming out very soon that is that classic look, too. Oh, yeah. They, well, they're doing a lot of the classic looks of a lot of them. Like, they're mm-hmm. doing Scarlet Witch, a few of them. I, I get you all gotta the fill those toy lines, my friend. Oh, <laughs> you got to take from my wallet. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, like you say, I'm pretty much all of those have been made at this point. We got to find out about that Captain Pike, though. So all you Star Trek fans out there, give us a heads up. I would I would bet money they have <laughs> never made that figure because like who would buy Captain Pike paraplegic man? I call it, you know, disabled man. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it seems like yeah, it'd be a bad taste, but you never know. Well, Jason, this was so much fun. We really, really appreciate you coming on and reaching out and sharing your enthusiasm for Wizard Magazine. But we know we actually got to let you go here. We'll carry on and close out the show. But is there anything else about Wizard Magazine that we haven't touched on yet that you want? To yeah, share? well, there's so much more. And I and I hope I can I can come in on a future episode because it's yeah. been such a pleasure. But I have a direct connection to Wizard because Ooh. I won one of the wizard contests. What? Oh, okay. Really? Listeners have been asking about this. Can you talk to a winner of a contest? Tell yes. us all about this. I won one of the contests and the contest was, I believe it's way ahead of this because it was around the hero's return, Kurt Busiek, George Perez Avengers run. I think it was the month that comic was going to come out. And what it was, is it was just one of those where it had a two page ad. They used to have those things you would cut out. And at the time I was like, I can't cut a hole into my (laughs) wizard magazine, but I did it. All they asked for was they said, design your perfect Marvel Avengers team. Send us your choices. And they had a first place, a second place and a third place. Now, I don't remember what first and third were, but I won second. Um, And I cannot remember all the members of my team, but I do know that I put the Invisible Woman and Nightcrawler on my Avengers team. And I don't remember all of the prizes, but here's how you... So you, you don't find out. You just send it in. You have no idea. And then one day... I got like a box in the mail from New York to middle of nowhere, Kansas. And I opened it up and it was just a single page letter that said, congrats, you won the wizard blah, 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 blah contest from issue da, 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 da. And it had wizard like on the the letterhead. And I remember what I won was I won a couple like trading cards. I think I won a, a poster, but the two things that I won, I still have them was they gave me Avengers number one, like the variant cover, it's like has like a smoky, like it's like the Avengers classic statue, and it's like sort of sun blazoned. Kirby Music signed it, George Perez signed it. And then they gave me Avengers issue four. Oh, that's what it was. I'm, I'm wrong. Okay. It was for Avengers number four because that was the issue that they were going to reveal the George Perez, Kurt Music final lineup. Um, so I got issue four as well, signed by Kurt and George. So, and that, yeah. So I, that's the only wizard contest I ever won. So that's my direct connection to wizard. That is so awesome. That's hey. so cool. So when you guys see that, or if you guys are like, get get down the line, you guys see that, invite me back. And I will be like, that's the one I won. You know? <laughs> Definitely. It'll be like in a couple, based on where you are, I think it'll be like in, it'll be two years in magazine time. Okay. Wow. Well, great. Um, well, yeah, we'll catch up with you then for sure. 
But uh, but yeah, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. And, and Michael, thank you so much for listening. Again, I've had a blast talking about Wizard Magazine. Wizard Magazine is my childhood. If you want to hear me talk about Wizard Magazine more, I do a podcast called Geek History Lesson with Ashley Victoria Robinson, where we take one character, one construct, and you tell you everything you need to know about him in about an hour. So you can fake being an expert to your friends. You know, <laughs> we recently did Moon Knight. We have like Wong from Doctor Strange coming out. We have classic, all the classic characters. We have 400 episodes. It's a really blast. It comes out weekly. And then um, I write comic books as well. And you can find like my most recent comic book, Super Best Friend, uh, which I got Dan Jurgens to do a variant cover for over at jasoninman.com. I saw that on your website. That was pretty cool. And I will say that for Geek History Lesson, unlike me, Ashley and Jason do some extensive extensive research like i've heard them talk about on the podcast like i remember i'm a big fan of the huntress and Mm -hmm. and you did an episode about the huntress but i think you also talked one about the earth 2 version and you kind of went really deep dive into all the different weird versions of her and i was like man this would take me forever they cranked this out so fast unbelievable (laughs) yeah some characters take a lot of research some don't you know the ones we know more but uh but yeah we try to go a little bit deeper than what you would normally. And, and of course, it's based by our own preference, but we had a lot of fun. And again, uh, we've been doing it so long that there are recurring characters now that show up on the show. So like there's all there's a mythology to this show now. So uh, just like you guys is mythology. And I I'm, I look forward to the Vampirilla account uh, continuing. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. You're in charge, Michael. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, please, no. no. All right. Well, cool. Well, Jason, this is super fun. And yeah, we'll definitely have you back on in the future. But no, they, guys, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. So next up, this issue also features an interview with the creator of Magic the Gathering. I will admit, I never knew that there was a creator. I thought Magic the Gathering just manifested and it was always, <laughs> has always been. It just was, it just was in the, you Nerds know. willed it into becoming <laughs> yes. a real physical thing. Yes. But apparently a guy by the name of Richard Garfield created it. Garfield, who was a college professor gee, maybe I can create a card game and be worth (laughs) billions of dollars now, who originally tried to sell a game he created called Robo Rally to Wizards of the Coast, no relation to the Seamus family, but it was too complicated. And Magic the Gathering is not too complicated. (laughs) Okay. He returned later with a simplified game design and magic was born. Garfield reveals that I actually had another game called Magic that I'd been toying with for about eight years before. The final product became a lot different when I adapted it to the idea of a trading card game. The phenomenon has already earned the manufacturer Wizards of the Coast an estimated $100 million in sales. At this point, the game was on its fourth edition since 1993 and has been published in six languages. Steve Milo of American Entertainment famous for comic book mail order ads, declares comic books have lost out to card games because comics are not a good value. The average comic is now $2.50. The value compared to a game card, which can have almost limitless play, is just not comparable. Wow. That's and an interesting it, take, isn't it? I will say, you know, most comic book shops, they do have like a heavy, heavy 
dominance of the Magic the Gathering stuff and like tournaments and tables set up in the mm-hmm. back where guys are playing. Yeah, it's a hundred million then. It's got to be in the a billion by oh, now or, or better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is just crazy to see like how big a thing it's become over time. You would think it would have just faded away. And actually, we did a little bit of a, a survey. We asked online, how many of you have played Magic the Gathering recently or when was the last time you played? And they're all like, well, probably not. 1997 or 12 years ago or so a lot of them not playing these days but there was you know one guy particularly was like yeah i played a couple months ago i got buddies who play every weekend so you know there's plenty of people that carried on uh, with that excitement i know for us though michael we love the toys that's the thing from the 90s we're still into so as far as toy news at this time it's interesting kenner is releasing a new wave of legends of the batman figures that will be exclusive to the warner brothers studio stores Oh, how really? I love the Warner Brothers studio stores. Yeah, I miss the source. But I don't remember them having exclusive action figures. I should have been paying closer attention, but they include, in this case, Dark Warrior Batman, Samurai Batman, Viking Batman, Crusader Robin, and the Riddler, which will be sold as metallic repaints in special packaging. Ooh, we know. But on the other side of the aisle, Toy Biz is releasing 12-inch dolls of Spider-Man and Wolverine with like removable clothing like you can change outfits you know so they have like their leather jackets and then they can get mm-hmm. in the superhero costumes but being sold at a suggested retail of $24.99 each this is 1996 that's a lot of money for a doll most boys yeah. didn't want a doll whether the girls weren't buying Wolverine and Spider-Man I don't think but the previously released Mary Jane doll is already a collectible at this time selling for $40 to $50 on the secondary market the wizard report which is interesting again probably because it didn't sell and became rare immediately (laughs) uh then also the larger scale they mentioned a 10 inch archangel with flappable wings so that's all very very exciting news from the world of toys i did a little deep googling real quick yeah magic the gathering has a net worth of 4.5 billion wow (laughs) 4.5 billion that is crazy they did it right holy cow I had to know. All right. You know, there's a lot of hype around Magic the Gathering to keep it in the consciousness, but there's a lot of hype around Jim and Todd. So we got to check out Jim and Todd's hype machine. Oh, good Lord. So I'll mention first off, the biggest Jim Lee news is obviously Heroes Reborn. That's what we were talking about. But over at Image, Lee is rumored to be returning to draw Wildcats, like Jason said, with issue 29. But that doesn't happen. Instead, it's Travis Charest who does the interiors. So unfortunately, you know, you don't get your Jim Lee back there. But the first issue of DEFCON 4 from Wildstorm Studios does get a Jim Lee variant cover. We posted a DEFCON 4 cover. People loved that comic. They're like, oh, you're bringing back so many memories that was awesome mike broom and i'm like i don't know who mike broom is but apparently if you don't know i definitely don't know <laughs> 
Next up, we have four Wildcats figures have been re-released in new Image Universe packaging as a Walmart exclusive. Long Island did not have a, a Walmart at this time, so we did not have this exclusive. I know, we didn't have a Walmart in my town until after I graduated and moved on, yeah. Yeah, after I was out of college was our first Walmart, believe it or not. Jim Lee was also involved in a redesign of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Playmates, though only Raphael, Donatello, and Michelangelo are being released to stores because Playmates didn't have time to make a Leonardo figure and keep the release date on schedule. How is that possible? I know, we, we mentioned this with Chad last time around, and it's just, it's one of those things I just cannot conceive of. You have four turtles. That's like, like you're releasing an album and you only have three of the Beatles. You know, yes. like it's just like, it doesn't make sense. Like you have to have all four. It's like having Kiss without Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> He's the main guy. He's the leader of the, the team. Yeah, it's it's just crazy to me that they could, you know, get away with that because also they were releasing them in conjunction with Savage Dragon figures. So you just take out a Savage Dragon and you put in Leonardo. That's all you had to do, but whatever. Wizard announces that the winner of the Hanging with Todd McFarlane contest from issue 50 was... David Bluestein of Thornhill, Ontario, Canada. A little Canadian biased, eh? <laughs> I think so, eh? Who got to be Todd's assistant for a day? What a lucky great. guy. Does that feel like a great sitcom we needed, though, is hanging with Todd McFarlane? <laughs> he did those intros to Spawn, but just imagine Todd McFarlane getting a sitcom. That would have been hilarious. Oh, I, I mean, he, he does his little uh, Instagram videos now and he promotes his figures and it's it's like his own little live talk show for himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, finally here, a repainted Spawn figure in all gold with green eyes is being sold exclusively at KB Toy Stores. There's also a Target an exclusive two-pack featuring a bendable violator and commando spawn finally a rare navy blue spawn figure was made for retailers who ordered cases of spawn trading cards and is selling for 90 to 100 dollars on the secondary market due to its rarity it's also revealed that there are three different overt kill figures with various paint job variations on the toy itself and the accessories so you know we have uh, at pogo man who is a hashtag spawn hunter with his collection i'm sure Sure he has all of these. We're going to have him on our Spawn special bonus episode. He can tell us all about it. But what I find so fascinating about this toy news, look at all the exclusives that each chain wanted their own exclusive and special packaging with a repainted. I mean, it just, it still exists today, but I didn't yeah. realize so much of it was happening back then. I did not know that that was a thing other than like Toys R Us exclusives or like KB Toys. Like I didn't knew, know that Walmart or any of these places would have exclusives. It was, it was not. Not even on my radar back then. I mean, I knew KB Toys did it a few times, but overall, I didn't know so many different chains had it. But now getting into our final tally here in this issue, Jim Lee has mentioned 12 times trumping Todd for the first time in a long time, who only gets seven mentions, which brings our running total to Jim Lee, 308, Todd McFarland, 327. Woo. I mean, uh, he's catching up, Todd, so you better watch out. But speaking of watching out, we got to see if we can find some laughs. Do we have to dodge some inappropriate comments? Uh, we'll give him one more chance here, Michael. Why don't you take us into Turox Top 10?
And tonight's top 10 list is top 10 ways we'd help Marvel's sluggish stock. Okay, here we go. Number 10, a special offer where for each share of the Marvel stock purchased, Marvel will re-kill a previously killed character (laughs) and keep them dead. I love it. Uh, Number nine, buy New York City streets and charge tolls. Well, you pretty much already have that. Almost every bridge is a toll. And oh God. It's... Yeah, I, I've driven in New Jersey and I have had that experience for sure. Yeah, you sneeze on the turnpike in Jersey. You got to pay a toll. <laughs> Number eight, hire some, what do you call them? Talented writers. Oh. Number seven, sell rights to all Marvel films to Comedy Central. Pocket cash. Okay. Number six, this I'd be on board for. Secret Wars 3. <laughs> well, what, what is the uh, the Beyonder going to get into this time? I mean, I don't know, but they, they did another Secret Wars. In uh, the, don't in remind the, me. I, he hates this one. I, I love it. I still have those issues. Blah. But it could have been called Secret Wars 3. Like, it's true. Yeah. There's no reason why they couldn't have done that. What do you got next? Number five, trademark and copyright Xmas. Any mention of Xmas will bring instant royalties. Hey, it almost worked with Exo Manowar and Warriors of Plasm. Oh, remember about getting back to those old lawsuits. Wow, that is a deep, deep cut in the wizard archives. So anything with Jim Shooter, Marvel just wants to sue him. That was like three months of issues back and forth. We talked about this for so long. That and that, oh man, that that shaman's tears (laughs) on forever. It It wouldn't go away. Okay, number four, hunt down anybody at Marvel in a suit and Beat them. <laughs> Put the people who care about comics in charge. Because only well, lazy people who don't want to dress up nice will write a good comic. Yes. Where's the guy in the Birkenstocks? Put him in charge. <laughs> Number three, because we had to have some bathroom humor in this list. One big enema. Only if Jack Nicholson's talking about enemas and Batman is it funny. This town needs an enema. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, number two, have the jackal clone the stock. That's actually kind of a clever pun. (laughs) All right, and number one, five words. Keep squeezing that monkeys, lad. Oh, they're doing it. They're just they're gonna keep at it until it is a thing. They want that to be a hashtag before hashtags existed. <laughs> and that does it for this episode of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. We want to thank once again Jason Inman for joining us. So much fun, so many great stories. He will return. But be sure to check out Geek History Lesson and his other comic book projects. Uh, of course, we have plenty for you to find as well. You can go over to our YouTube channel. I want to start there because I just did an awesome video showing off these vintage wizard promo posters, like the posters that hung up in the comic book shops. Yes, people have saved them and they sell them and I am so excited. Uh, Also, Michael finally was able to get a chance to put together our Halloween costume contest video for the 1995 wizard Halloween contest entrance. We got to give our thoughts on all those costumes. Some really great stuff there. So if you haven't subscribed to YouTube or you haven't 
haven't been over there lately, check out what we're bringing you. Of course, we want to talk to you all daily on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. And hey, if you want to live the Wizards lifestyle, why not get yourself a new Wizards logo t-shirt? Yes, you know, with episode 51, we moved on with kind of a new branding, a new seal logo, kind of inspired a little bit by DC Comics there. So if you want to find that, it is on our T Public store. Just look for Wizards Comics Podcast. You should be able to find our latest design and our classic designs. Whatever floats your boat, we would love for you to just wear it out there. Again, we never make much money off of these shirts, but it's just fun to know that you're out there spreading the word. And we hope you will stay subscribed and excited as episode 56, we actually have another wizard staffer coming on to join us for that episode. You can find out who by listening to our mini episode, but there are some great behind the scenes stories that are going to be shared, as well as just comics fandom from the 90s from someone who was so inspired they went on to actually work at Wizard. So get excited for that. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.